Well, how's, how are you guys all doing? That was so subdued. If I, were, if, I were, if I were like a really, really hip like youth pastor kind of person, I'd be like jumping up and down and making you guys all jump up and down. Skyler's a youth pastor. He knows. <laughs> good. Well, hey, really good to see everyone here tonight. Um, really, really glad that we just have so many different people from a lot of different places who've come here tonight. Um, you know, I know that there's some people who are here from as far away as Kitsap County, which, you know, depending on where you live in Kitsap County, it's kind of either close or far, but, you know, Brad is here. Brad, I know you come from quite a ways. And um, Just out of curiosity, who, who thinks that they've won the award for the longest distance driven tonight to come to Thrive? The Zinks. Okay. H how long did it take you guys? 45 minutes. Oh, so Liz, how long did it take you? A whole hour. Can anyone be... An hour and 17, Davey, where did you, oh, Manchester, right? Sil okay, an hour and 17 minutes from Silverdale. Wow. Well, point being, <laughs> well done for being here. Thank you guys so much for being here. Everyone who's here is an encouragement to everyone else. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible about a time in the Old Testament where the Israelites were building a temple. You know the story? And when they built the temple, they had to go to the quarry and they had to take the tools and, and chisel all the stones out of the quarry. And then, then they had to haul them from a great distance away and, and they, built, you know, they brought them to Jerusalem where they built this temple. And when they put all the stones together, anyone knows what happens? Anyone remember this? When they, when, they, when they build the temple and they put all the stones together without making a sound, that's right. All the stones slid together into a place without making a sound because they were perfectly cut right. And they were perfectly in sync with, with one another. And that's a little bit like what it is when Christians come together. All of us have been chiseled out by Jesus. You know, he's chiseled us out from the world. He's he set us free from sin. And he's brought us not just to sort of be individual little blocks that are just kind of, you know, one here, one there, like a big old brickyard or something. But instead, he, he wants to take each person and to build them into a, a spiritual house where God can dwell. And that can only happen in community. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And what that means is that every single person has some part of that building. Every single person who's here is a part of that building. And if, and if you pull away from the body, it's like there's a big hole in the temple. So every single person who's here is an encouragement to every single other person who's here tonight. And um, that actually, that's a great introduction unintentionally to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Tonight, um, we're going to kick off a, a little mini-series, a sort of three, four-week mini-series called A New Community. A New Community. And, and one, of the, one of the things that's always been a pretty enormous part of, of what has made Thrive Thrive has been the element of community. So, uh, you know, here's, here's, here's what tends to happen. So you, you, you go to school, you, you go through high school, you get out of high school, and then what happens? Who said goof off? Someone said goof off. Well, so see, you, you graduate high school, and then what happens to your social life? You know, at least in my experience, most of your friends kind of get up and leave. You know, they go off to, I don't know, college or to the big city or something like that. And, and, and what that means is that it can be really, really challenging to try to pick up the pieces of all of your friendships and all of your social life as you're trying to get into these, these years of, of young adulthood. Anyone, uh, can anyone relate to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I remember one of the things that blew me away back when Thrive started more than six years ago, it was the element of community, that, that this was probably one of the only places, if not the only place, that I knew in this area where there actually was a community of people our age 
Um, and, and it was like finding an oasis in the middle of a desert for me. I mean, it was just such a cool experience. And, and, and man, in the last six years, I mean, just like what you guys were all sharing, we, we've had people who've come from like an hour and 17 minutes away or like 90 minutes away just to show up on a Thursday night because the hunger and the desperation for community has been that strong. So from the very beginning, I mean, the, 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 that, that subject, that phrase, community, has been a big, big part of what God has done in, in making Thrive happen. And in fact, by the way, this is also probably something that um, is on the minds of a lot of people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. I mean, just think about the fact that like, we're living in a time now where people are calling loneliness an epidemic. So there was a, there was a former U.S. Surgeon General who said, that when he was, you know, in his medical career, the thing that he saw, you know, the thing that he considered a greater issue than even, like, heart disease or, or diabetes was loneliness. And then on the other side of the globe, in, in the U.K., I don't know if you guys saw that earlier this year, the U.K. appointed a minister for loneliness. And what that means is that the subject of community is one that all kinds of people from every single stripe are, 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 are trying to figure out. We're living in an age where, where, like, the family is breaking down and where people are no longer living in the same place. People are transient. They're moving around. And there's, an, there, there's like, this disease of loneliness. There's a disease of loneliness. And so the point here in all of this is that, that everyone longs for community. Everyone's looking for community. And yet, a lot of our communities are kind of lame. Either there aren't any or, or the ones that happen, you know, it's just like there's something that seems to fall short of what I think deep down we, we long for community to be. And that can even be true of Christian community sometimes. Um, you know, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, his claim was that he was going to build a new kind of community that was different than any kind of community the world had ever seen. So think about the, the, the way that he says that the kind of community that he's going to build is going to be a city on a hill. I mean, his intention was that, that he was going to bring together a group of people who were totally different from each other, who other than Jesus may have had nothing in common together, and, and, and by them coming together as a community, he was going to make that a light and a beacon to a world in darkness. And the question is, is that what Christian community has been in your experience? And sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. I mean, I'm sure that there are many people who are in this room tonight who have been hurt by Christian community. And so for the next couple of weeks, um, I just wanted to, to kick off this season as we dive into the fall by looking at what the Bible says are the true ingredients of, of the kind of community that Jesus longs for. Not the kind of community that, that we necessarily long for or the kind of community that I long for, but, but what does Jesus have in mind? What does he desire for, for his people to be, for the church to be. And as we start here, I just want to, I want to pose a guiding question. Question is, what would it look like for, for Thrive to be all that Christian community is meant to be? What would it look like for Thrive to be all that Christian community is meant to be? Let me go ahead and pray for us. And then I'm going to turn to a passage of scripture. God, thank you that you've made us for yourself um, and that you've made us for each other. Um, thank you that it's not good for us to be alone. And thank you that you want to take your people and make them into a kind of community that's different than any kind of community the world has ever seen. Um, God, help us to dream for and long for 
the kind of community that you desire. Um, and may we be that for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I'm going to look at a passage of scripture, but before I read it, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil the, the, the message tonight. And I'm going to just tell you what my thesis is. You know, you're not usually supposed to do this. You know, you're supposed to actually kind of, you know, say something clever for 30 minutes and then kind of let people figure out what the whole point of it was. I'm going to spoil it for you tonight. Here, here's my thesis. And you guys can test me at the end of this to be sure that I've actually proven my point, okay? Here's my thesis. My thesis is that without Jesus, Christian community is a complete and utter waste of your time. Without Jesus, Christian community is a complete and utter waste of your time. So, hold that in your brain. At the end of this, at the end of this message, I want you to, you know, say, okay, thumbs up, yes, you, you proved your thesis, thumbs down, no, you didn't, you know, chuck out, chuck some tomatoes at me. We're going to look at a passage in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, it's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so, by the way, they there, this is a, this is a group of, of, of early Christians who have just come to believe in Jesus for the first time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to every, anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's the passage. And what I want to do is, this is not very complicated. I don't even have three points, believe it or not. All I want to do is I want to just cast a very simple vision for what Christian community could be. And this passage is one of the best places to go for that. Because if you think about this, how did all this happen? Did a bunch of Christians just get together one day and say, hey, you know what, let's just, let's just decide to kind of create a community. Let's just like get a bunch of Christians together and we'll just gather and we'll you know, do things like Bible study and we'll just come together and we'll have these big karaoke concerts where we just you know, sing a bunch of words on the screen. And then we'll hear some guy get up and give kind of like a spiritual TED talk and we'll do it every single week and sometimes on Wednesdays and sometimes on Thursdays and Mondays and Fridays and it'll be great. Is that what actually happened? No, of course not. This passage that we just read gives you the account of the very first time that, that Christians began to gather. And, and, and what you notice here is just kind of the, the, the first verse. It sort of just gives you a list of the things that they're doing. So check out verse 42. Verse 42, it just walks you through. Here, here's what these guys did. All these Christians were together, and, and what did they do? First thing, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that just means Bible study. Uh, fellowship, you know, so they were, fellowship just means kind of being together, so they were just hanging out with each other. Breaking of bread, that's just another way of saying communion, or celebrating the Lord's Supper with the, with the bread and the wine. Fourth thing is prayer, and then if you look at some of the later verses, there, there are a few other things that are mentioned. So verse 44, it says that they had everything in common, so there was like a common sharing of, of their possessions. Verse 45, they gave to anyone as he had need. So that's sort of just basic charity, or kind of like what some of the people here are going to be doing with serving the homeless. Verse 47, it says that they were praising God. And then finally, verse 47 again, you find out that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. 
And if you wanted to put a churchy word on that, you could just say that that's evangelism. That's just like going out and sharing with other people who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah, who, who, who said that? Good for you. <laughs> now, okay, here's the, here's the crazy thing about this. When this passage in the book of Acts, you know, this, this is like this passage that's always put up on a pedestal. You know, we say, oh, man, you know, look at these early Christians. Like, if only we could have what they had. I mean, they're so bold and, and like, standing up against persecution. And look at how, how bravely they're presenting the gospel and preaching to all these different people. And, you know, Peter, he's standing up in front of thousands of people. And, 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 and there was just, like, this, this, this some, something that they had that we must not have had. What, what was it? And the crazy thing is, if you go through the list of all the activities that they did, did you notice that basically all these things are the exact same things that we still do in church today. So think about this. Like, what, what are the things that they did? They, did they, they studied the Bible. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing right now. They gathered and they would pray. You know, anyone ever, like, been to a place like this and, like, prayed before? <laughs> I, would, I would think so. Fellowship. You know, they were, they were all together breaking a bread, celebrating communion. You know, maybe you're a part of a church that does that every week. But, you know, chances are... Whether it's every week, every month, maybe you've been to a church where that's happened too. Now, of course, there are some exceptions. You know, so where it says that they had everything in common, they just shared all their possessions. Well, you know, we kind of do that. Some Christian groups do it more. But, but point is, what's so surprising about this passage is that even though we look at like the early churches must have been like this golden age of Christianity. What did they have that we didn't? Well, they were doing almost the exact same things that we still do. So what gives? <laughs> because obviously, there, there was something different that they had. I mean, <laughs> you just read through the book of Acts, and it's just an amazing, amazing book that's all about the way that God just broke down barriers and saw the gospel go from the richest king to the poorest beggar. I mean, there was just a, a spiritual power that kind of hung over the early church. And <laughs> I don't know if, if this is going to be true of, of, of all of us, but man, do you guys ever read this book and just hunger for that? And just, man, say, I wish that I could be a part of a community that truly had that kind of, that kind of fire and that kind of power that they had. So there, there was something different. There was something different. And I want to suggest to you that the thing that was different about all of this was the intensity. The intensity. So notice this, that multiple times in, in, in the passage, it tells you that the, these Christians, they're constantly together. Like, they're there together all the time, you know, not just on a Sunday morning, but around the clock. So verse 44 just says all the believers were together. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. And not just, you know, the, the temple courts, that was probably like the morning meeting, right? And then it says that, that they continue to meet together in their homes. So, you know, evening rolls around and these guys are all still hanging out. I mean, what that, what that says is that this is a group of people that can't get enough of each other. They're addicted to being with each other. And they're not just addicted to each other, they're addicted to all of these practices, all of these things that we look at as you know, just boring, boring churchy things, they're addicted to this stuff. So, so verse 42, the very first thing it says is that they devoted themselves to all these things. And, and that word devoted, you could translate that as they, they continued steadfastly in. What all this means is that they never, ever got tired of it. They never got tired of it. You know, they never got together and they said, man, you know, I, when is this stupid meeting going to end? Like, 
can't, 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 can't we just go home now? You know, we've been singing this, this same worship song for like 15 minutes. Like, haven't we worshiped God enough today? Or, you know, the, the worship really wasn't very good today. I, 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 I think I'm just going to kind of go home and turn on YouTube and have my own private little worship session. I don't need these other Christians to sing with. Or, you know, they didn't say, man, you know, how long are these people going to keep praying? I mean, man, like, <laughs> Davey, I'm just picking on you, Davey, because you're in the front row. You know, Davey, he, he's just been, like, talking to Jesus for, like, ten minutes straight. I'm just getting so sick of hearing his voice, like, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, obviously not. They were addicted to all of these things. They couldn't get enough of them. They couldn't get enough of each other. There was a magnetism about the early Christian community. And, and that was, I think, one of the things that caused the church to explode. And, and you know, one of the things that if you've, if you've been around groups of Christians before, you probably know is that if you know, you're one of the guys who's like a, a, a high-level volunteer or you're, you know, you're a pastor or a minister, chances are you've probably been approached by someone like that, and, and they've basically done this to you. They, they, they've, they've pulled the coercion card. And they've tried to, like, punch in the arm and, and say, hey, you know, aren't you going to come to the, the thing on Wednesday? Aren't you going to show up at church on a Sunday? And this has been the perennial Christian problem down through the ages. Get this. There's a famous preacher from, like, 1,600 years ago. And you can look up a sermon of his online where, like, 1,600 years ago, he's, like, preaching to his congregation about how mad he is that they're going to the horse races instead of showing up at church. And now, basically, it's, you know, same, same problem, different, different issue. It's just, you know, we go watch the Seahawks game or something. But, but see, in the early church, they didn't have to do that. The problem wasn't, you know, how can we coerce all these people to show up to this thing? The problem was, how do we, get to, how do we send them all home? I mean, these guys won't leave. They're just, they, 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 they just can't get enough of each other. So why is it, then, that if we do these exact same things, that their experience could have been so, so vibrant and yet our experience can sometimes feel so dead. And I'll tell you one thing that it wasn't. One thing that it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that these guys just had a lot better preachers than, than we do today, for example. You know, at different points, Paul actually tells you that he's not a very good speaker. You know, and when the Sanhedrin is, is listening to Peter and John preach, they're like, man, <laughs> these guys... <laughs> they got to, like, watch their grammar and their spelling a little bit. They're uneducated fishermen. It's not like they're, you know, more articulate than our pastors today. I mean, we, we live in a world where, like, there is so much polish on a church service <laughs> where, we, you know, we have people who take classes in seminary about how do you wow a crowd with, with just, the, you know, the greatest oratory you can, you can dredge up. You know, these guys, they didn't have flashing lights. They didn't have electric guitars. They didn't have drum sets. They didn't have smoke machines. None of this stuff. I mean, quite frankly, the preaching was probably so-so. The worship was probably just a cappella. You know, you know, people were singing out a tune. I mean, none of this stuff could have held a candle to all of the flashiness, all of the glitz, all of the pizzazz of our crazy, trumped-up, <laughs> basically entertainment shows that we call church services. That was not the reason. I want to suggest to you that the, the reason for the magnetism of this early Christian community it's here in verse 43. In verse 43, what you find out is that it says that everyone was filled with a sense of awe. Everyone was filled with a sense of awe. Now, the, the, the word awe is kind of this very hard to put a finger on word in the English language. It doesn't just mean a sense of, of, of wonder. 
it kind of is a combination of the word wonder and the word fear. So you, know, you, you feel a sense of amazement when you see like a really nice Lamborghini drive down the road or when you're standing on the edge of an amazing cliff looking down on like an amazing landscape. But the word awe is more than just amazement. It's more than just wonder. It's wonder and fear combined. It's sort of this idea of being totally captured by something so majestic that it humbles you. You know, it's not just that, wow, this thing is so great, but in this thing's presence, I am so small. And this is the feeling that the early Christian community had. Has anyone ever felt this before? I have seen this, just, this feeling just steal over people. Um, a couple years ago, I was spending a semester studying abroad, and I was living in China. While I'm living in China, I meet a guy, and he's a Chinese Muslim. And we became friends, and, and he just, like, became really, really fascinated with, with Jesus. And I remember one night, we were going to, to, to a, a person's house. He was another missionary there. And he would have these movie nights. We would watch these Christian movies and then talk about them. And, and, and one night, it was around Christmas time, we went, and we went to this guy's house. We watched this movie about the Christmas story. And it's late at night. We're walking back across campus, just the two of us. And I asked my friend what he thought about it. And he has this look of his eyes, in his eyes. He has this like sense of awe in his voice. And he said, I could feel belief coming up from inside of me. Yeah. I mean, you could tell that he was just being completely bowled over by the reality of God in that moment. God was going from being this just like abstract idea to him to something that was really, truly utterly real and utterly holy. And that's the kind of awe that I think hung over this early, early community. And, and the result of that was all of, the, all of these things that they did. It, was just, it just happened organically. You know, it wasn't just that, you know, hey, these are just a bunch of, of, of churchy, stale practices that we ought to do. There was no ought. <laughs> there was just like a hunger and a longing to be together with other Christians and to do them. Now, why is it that sometimes it's not always the same for us? And I think this just makes a lot more sense to me if I were to actually kind of put myself in the position of, of just the average early Christian in, in, in a community like this. Because think about this. Almost all of these guys who were the first to believe in Jesus, they would have been, they would have been Jewish. And that meant that growing up their whole lives... They would not have known God. And certainly not through the religion that they were raised with, because in the religion that they were raised with, if you were a Jew, multiple times a year what you had to do, you had to go up to the temple in Jerusalem to sacrifice an animal for your sins. And, and just imagine what your life would have been like. Imagine the terrible, horrible drudgery that, that kind of life would have been, because that meant that every time you stumbled, into some kind of sin, into some sort of sexual sin or some sort of addiction or any other kind of sin or brokenness, you would have had to, to bear not only the weight of the guilt yourself, but then you know, to make matters worse, you have to drag along this little innocent animal all the way from your home to put this thing to death for something that you've done. I mean, as if the shame of all of this wasn't enough already. And, and on top of that, this wouldn't have even guaranteed any kind of relief from your conscience. 
I mean, it says in the book of Hebrews that all of these animal sacrifices could only kind of cleanse someone outwardly. It could never bring true, true cleansing on the inside. But now imagine this. Imagine that you're, an, you're a first century Jew and you're on your way to Jerusalem. You're dragging your feet because the thought of what you have done is just hanging over your head. You have a little lamb that you're dragging along in tow. And as you're on your way to Jerusalem, you run across one of these so-called Christians. And you've heard about these guys. I mean, these guys, these are these crazy followers of this man named Jesus of Nazareth who apparently died and, like they say, rose again. And you decide, well, I want to find out who these people are. So you, you ask him. You say, well, where's the temple where you worship? And the Christian looks back at you and says, well, we don't have a temple because Jesus is our temple. And you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, wait a minute. You don't have a temple. Well, then where are your priests? I mean, you have to have priests, don't you, to stand between you and God. And the Christian says back to you, we don't have any priests because Jesus is our priest. Well, no priests? I mean, how do you, how do you offer sacrifices? I mean, what do, you, what do you do about your sin? And he says, we don't have any sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice. So you're telling me that all of my life, I've been dragging along these animals. I've been slaughtering them and watching the blood pour out in front of my eyes. And I've never even found forgiveness. And you're telling me that someone has already come, he's laid down his life to offer me that forgiveness that I could never find? And he says, yeah. That's what it's all about. That you don't have to do anything about your sins because Jesus has already dealt with them. Jesus suffered for your sins he offered you forgiveness. On the cross, he endured the punishment for your sins so that you could have your blank, your, your, your past wiped away and become a blank slate. And you ask him, like, if this is really true, <laughs> I mean, if this, if this is really true, I mean, what do I, what do I have to do? And he just looks at you and says, all you have to do is ask for it. It's completely free. If you were a first century Jew and you heard this, your whole worldview would have just been in dust on the floor. And can you imagine just the joy that you would have felt just letting the little lamb go <laughs> to be embraced by the loving arms of the real lamb of God and to know, that, know his love and his forgiveness for the very first time? Can, can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine the joy that someone would have felt when they would have discovered the gospel for the first time. And man, like, when I have joy, I want to share it. <laughs> I mean, if I were this guy, I would have said to myself, this is crazy. This is insane. I, I'm going to gather every single Jewish person I know, and i got to tell them about this. Like, no more with all of these, these sacrifices. No more with just, no more with, with, with lack of forgiveness. They need to know. They need to know what Jesus has done for them. I don't want to get with other Christians. I want to be with people who kind of had experienced what I'd experienced. I don't want to be opening up my Bible. I don't want to be saying, this is crazy. Where, where is this in the Old Testament? I've got to study these prophecies about the Lamb of God who would come and, and what all this means. And I would, want to, I would want to celebrate the death that made this possible, the resurrection that made it possible. It sounds a little bit like I'd want to celebrate communion. <laughs> I'd probably think to myself, well, gosh... <laughs> 
I don't have to go through a priest anymore. I can talk to God right here, right now. I can pray right where I'm standing. And because of Jesus, this God is going to listen to me. He's going to hear my prayers. He's going to answer my prayers. I mean, don't you see that every single thing that, that the early church did, the exact same things that we do, don't you just see that this was the organic overflow of hearts that were just exploding with a joy unspeakable because they had met Jesus. This is what Christian community is all about. I mean, if you've been doing this again and again and again, you know, maybe you didn't even have a choice because you grew up with parents who just kind of dragged you along to things. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Have you ever experienced what it would have been like to have been one of these first Christians? The freshness of a faith like this. And even though this has not always been my experience, I can honestly say that there have been times where I have. And, and one of the very just first experiences of this that I ever remember, I was in high school. And when I was in high school, this was when God was really kind of first beginning to grab my heart for the first time. And there was a girl in our, in, in, in our, in our high school class, a girl named Sarah. Sarah was one of the few out-and-out Christians who was really, like, bold in her faith and unafraid to show it. And every Thursday, Thursday is, you know, my, my, my favorite day of the week, Thursday, she would, she would hold this Bible study after school in a little math classroom, and one day she invited me. And this was probably the simplest, stupidest, boringest, no-frills Bible study I've ever been to. I mean, there were, like, four people. It was me and this other girl and this other girl, and then like a German exchange student who could barely even speak English, who was Catholic. I mean, it was like so, so boring. But for me, this was like water to a man dying of thirst. I could not wait every Thursday until school got out and I could go and join that Bible study. And Thursday, as now, back then, was my favorite day of the week because it meant that I could get to finally be in community with other Christians. I would hang out with them. I mean, they became my very first experience of, of having Christian friends. And, and we couldn't get enough of each other. We, we, we couldn't get enough of Jesus. And that was the kind of joy, that was the kind of awe that the early church knew. And so the point of all this is that it doesn't matter what aspect of Christian community you're talking about. You know, it's not as though kind of the solution is if we just sort of tweak this or tweak that and have better worship or better preaching or better whatever, well, then that'll be community as God intended it. Without Jesus, no part of this makes any sense at all. Without Jesus, this is the thesis, remember? Without Jesus, all of this is a complete and utter waste of your time. I mean, you can just go home right now. <laughs> but the secret of the vitality of the early church, and, and the secret that can be the vitality of our churches, is that the grounds of gathering, it's not fun, it's not games, it's not even each other, but it's an awe about who Jesus is. Man, you know, the, 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 when that's the grounds for gathering, then, oh my goodness, I mean, that's like heaven on earth. <laughs> if you've experienced that with another group of believers, you know what I'm talking about. But there's also a flip side to this, too. And the flip side is that if you're in community for reasons other than Jesus, then, you know, th th that, can, that, that at times can, <laughs> can truly be hell rather than heaven on earth. And man, you know, I, I've gotten to, gotten to witness this, too. You know, when I lived in England... One day I had a friend who said, Michael, I've heard about this thing. It's called Atheist Church. You, we should go and check it out. And we went to this thing and met in this little community center. 
And it was just like, it was so, so sad. It was a group of people who would kind of identify as like secular humanists or atheists. And you could tell that they, they had this gathering that was modeled on what Christians do when they meet for church. Like they had a couple of secular songs that they would sing at the beginning all together. And then they would have a guy who would speak on some sort of topic. I think he spoke on neuroscience or something like that. They would even like give each other greetings like you might have done on a Sunday morning in a church one day. But it was just, it was, it was so dead. It was shallow. It was lifeless. It was happy, but not joyful. There's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. And if I may, I want, I want to just modify that quote for us and put it like this and say, aim at Jesus, and you'll get community thrown in, but aim at community, and you'll get neither. So it's possible to be motivated to be in community for community's sake itself, and that ultimately is a red herring. That ultimately will leave you starving and your soul empty. But there's also another sort of false motivation for being in community, and that could also be the motive of, a motive of fear. It could very well be that the, the reason that you've come to things like this over the course of your life is actually for the sake of fear. I mean, this is the strategy of religion. Religion says, if you just do all these churchy things, then God's going to bless you. And this is so, so sneaky because what happens with this strategy is that on the outside, you could look like a total model Christian. I mean, you never miss a church service. You do your morning devotions. You serve in the local youth group. You lead worship at Thrive. Outwardly, everything is as polished as could be. But inwardly, the motivation behind all of those things is just fear and insecurity. That if you don't do those things, then God's going to get mad at you. And what this means, just, just think through the implications of this. Think about what this means when a religious person, as opposed to a Christian, because those things are different, Christianity is unlike any religion the world's ever seen. When a religious person prays, he or she prays to get things from God. Your prayer only really kind of heats up and becomes, <laughs> becomes desperate in a time of crisis. But when a Christian prays, you're not praying just to get things from God, although we can certainly do that, but to praise God, to just adore God, just to be in his presence. Or think about this, when a religious person serves, so let's say going out to, to serve the homeless, when a religious person serves, he or she serves so that God will reward them, and, and their acts of service, their worship, their deeds, their church attendance, it's actually a form of leverage on God. It's saying, God, I've slaved away for you, and now you're in my debt. I've given you what you want, and now you need to give me what I want. But that's not how a Christian serves. When a Christian serves, they serve in order to get God, nothing else. They serve just because they love God and because they, they love God, they want to please God. You know, if you're in love with someone, you probably have noticed that their happiness becomes your happiness. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's like when a Christian serves God. Or finally, think about this. Think about identity. A religious person's identity is based on how hard they work or how moral they are. And by consequence, they're going to look down on others who are lazy or immoral or less hardworking than they. And by the way, if you ever fail in that, then your identity is going to shatter in a million pieces at your feet. But a Christian is totally set free from that. A Christian doesn't have to worry about how good they are because they've already been made good in Jesus. They don't even need to think of themselves as, as sort of being a good person because 
Jesus has already taken care of that. Their identity doesn't rest in their moral performance, but on God's love in Jesus. So don't you, this is crazy. There, you, there can be two people sitting side by side in Christian community, and they can be doing the exact same things, singing the exact same songs, studying the exact same Bible, but they can be doing it for utterly different reasons. Outwardly, they're exactly the same. Inwardly, they're as far removed as hell is from heaven. So what's the point in all this? <laughs> what is community but a bunch of people just kind of gathering together? <laughs> and yet there are so many infinite reasons for, for doing it. What are our reasons? What are our reasons? I want to end by just issuing an exhortation, issuing a challenge almost. I mean, I, I long to see Thrive become the kind of community that Jesus died to create. I mean, this, what we're doing right here, cost him his life. I have a dream of what our community could be. And I think of, I, I think of, a, I think of a community where we're all so in love with Jesus He's our one consuming passion that, that we're going to do whatever it takes to help one another know him. Where we're a community where every person takes responsibility for the spiritual growth of every other person. And that means that it would be a community where, where we suffer together, where we rejoice with each other, where we laugh with each other, where we cry with each other, where we worship Jesus with each other. I dream of a community where, where, where people who don't know Jesus would look at us and they would say, man, look at how these people love each other. Look at how they just can't get enough of each other. I mean, they just won't stop hanging out. <laughs> Look at how they, they serve each other. Look at how they share with each other. Look at how they encourage one another. Look at how they challenge one another. Look at how they repent to one another. They're confessing their sins to one another. They're forgiving one another. Do you guys believe that Thrive can become that kind of community? I just think that we've only really scratched the surface of what it would be for Thrive to be all that it could be as a Christian community. And for that to happen, that's, that's got to start with Jesus. I mean, you guys all been listening. That, that was my thesis statement. you got to let me know now if I've proven it or not. But again, without Jesus, all of this is just a waste of time. It starts with him. And that starts with, it starts with people individually. Right? And that, as, we, as we close here, I just want to ask, you know, it could be that in hearing all of this, you're just kind of looking at your own life and realizing, man, I've just been going through the motions. You know, I've been showing up to stuff like this. But where has Jesus been in all that? Like, I just, I'm saying his name, I'm singing his songs, I'm listening to his word, but man, I just feel like I've lost him. Like, I've lost him in all of this religious static. I mean, it could also be that you're hearing this, and then actually the penny is dropped, and you're realizing, man, I've been coming to all this stuff, not really knowing why I'm coming, but now I really do see what it's all about. Like, it really is all about Jesus, and you're excited to simply continue to know him. Um, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum, but what I want to ask as we, as we close here, we're just going to pray, um, and I want to ask for anyone who just hearing all this knows that they need more of Jesus, that, that you just need a revival of him in your life. Um, just as we're praying, to raise a hand, and we're going to pray for you, um, and then move into small groups. But um, just want to encourage everyone here not to, not to leave without just asking 
for Jesus to be made fresh in your life tonight. So let's pray. Lord, um, just thank you so much that you desire um, something more than even what we would dream of. Um, God, thank you that, that you laid down your life to see a new kind of community form that would be a witness to the world, that would be a, a, a beautiful testimony, um, even to your own people, of just what happens when Jesus is at the center of our lives. Um, God, would you just make us um, the kind of community that you died for? Um, God, just give us a passion, give us a, an inspiration to, um, to be a kind of people that just contends for one another and holds each other accountable and is just inseparable from one another um, so that we might all help each other grow more and more like Jesus. Um, and God, if there's anyone here who just wants more of you, um, I'm just going to ask for them to raise their hands. I'm just going to pray uh, for them. Lord, I just ask that for anyone here who asks for it tonight, that you would just pour out um, a greater portion of yourself, that you would reveal yourself in a fresh way. Um, we don't want to just show up and just be going through the motions. We don't want to waste our lives sitting in stupid meetings. Um, this would just be a waste of our time. Would you just grant um, a greater intimacy, a greater knowledge of your son so that we might declare his praises to a world that so desperately needs him. In Jesus' name, amen.